Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, the great Michael Keaton backlash of 1988. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And we're looking at a subject that if you grew up at the time, you knew very well. If not, this is going to be a very interesting story for you. So fans are always concerned with the casting choices that go into the movies they're looking forward to. But nothing captured this more than back in 1988. In 1988, Michael Keaton was chosen to play Batman in Tim Burton's upcoming version, and the decision caused a tremendous backlash for movie executives, leading to letter-writing campaigns from fans directed at Warner Brothers Studios opposing the decision. And this has happened with Batman quite a bit. You know, the choice of Ben Affleck was seen as ridiculous by many, not to mention Val Kilmer, and then George Clooney, of all people, have been chosen to play the Dark Knight. But we need to go back in time to when this all really began, and the all-time fan backlash to the actor choice to play a comic book hero. This is a look back at the original 1988 backlash for the choice of Batman, Michael Keaton. And before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. I should be there. Okay, let's get right into it. We now, of course, live in the age where it seems asinine to question the making of a comic book movie, but this hasn't always been the case. Since Marvel and DC, even if you think the latter is crap, rule Hollywood, it's hard to imagine studios once didn't want to touch a superhero movie with a 10-foot pole. When Superman came out in 1978, it was seen as a big gamble to be released by a major motion picture studio. Comic book superheroes were too much kid fare that it it was seen as overly juvenile and not worthy of a feature film. Sure, you could have your cartoony versions, no problem, but going beyond that was seen as career suicide. I think some of this stems from the old Batman TV show of the 60s, which was an over-the-top, campy, cartoony type of entertainment. You also had the Spider-Man cartoon show from 1967, but it was still just that, a cartoon. So putting out a Superman movie in 1978 was a definite risk. At the very least, Superman is probably the most famous comic book character, and everyone is familiar with the history and backstory of Clark Kent and the planet Krypton. So if anything would work, it would be that. So here's the release of Superman. Because a movie like this was considered a tough go, several directors, writers, and producers had gone through the process before bowing out. They finally landed on Richard Donner to direct the film. It had also been in, uh, in mind since 1973 and would take a while to convince executives and studios to get on board. Here's an interesting fact. They were actually filming both the first Superman and the sequel Superman 2 at the same time, but it was causing such chaos that they stopped the filming of the sequel to focus on the main picture, even though 75% of the sequel was done. The first drafts of Superman had a very campy tone to them, and this would make sense if you think about it, because that's the only way people really knew comic book-based entertainment. Donner was responsible for changing the tone and the direction of the movie, which would help lead to its success. 
There were a few other things that I had going for it. They were able to convince screen legend Marlon Brando to play Superman's father, Jor-El, and this gave the movie some more clout, kind of in the same way casting Alec Guinness gave some legitimacy to the first Star Wars. The casting of Christopher Reeve as Superman was perfect. He had the look and on-screen charisma to perfectly capture and embody Superman. For most people, he will always be the true Superman, and I include myself in that. But if you want to hear some other interesting choices that actually auditioned or were considered to play Superman, here we go. Paul Newman, Sylvester Stallone, Robert Redford, the then Bruce Jenner, James Caan, Josh Brolin, Christopher Walken, Nick Nolte, John Voight, Chris Christopherson, Charles Bronson, Burt Reynolds, and I'm not making this up, Neil Diamond. So it had a few good things going for it, but one massive detractor. It was now the most expensive movie ever made. With an unheard of budget of $55 million, this was throwing everything they had at it. But as you know, it worked. Superman was obviously a massive hit and everything about it worked. The mythology, the acting, the special effects, it all came together. The movie would make $300 million, be a commercial and critical success, be nominated for Academy Awards and be the second highest grossing film of the year. Looks like they got it right, but that would be pretty much as far as it would go for getting it right. The Superman sequels left a lot to be desired and the franchise seemed to slide downward pretty quick. The original Superman was seen as kind of a one-off hit, and there was doubt the success could be duplicated again. Comic book movies were now back to where they started, not seen as a worthwhile pursuit. So things were quiet on the superhero movie front for almost a decade, but the Batman story goes back to the time of the first Superman movie, as it itself would take a decade to develop. Michael E. Uslan was a 28-year-old comic fan and aspiring producer, and he snatched up the film rights to Batman in the late 70s. He was pitching the idea of a Batman movie to studios and was obviously getting rejected left and right. If a Superman movie was like pulling teeth to develop, no one was going to touch Batman, especially because it had the direct connection to the campy Adam West version of the 60s. He was told by executives that Batman now was as dead as the dodo. Uslan had one pivotal idea though. What if instead of the cartoony campy approach, they went in the complete opposite direction? A dark and serious movie had never been done or attempted with any comic book character before, and it might be the way to create a brand new form of entertainment. As good as Superman had been, the sequels had killed any momentum, and Batman as a character was too damaged due to Adam West. The comic book version of Batman had now distanced itself from all that and was putting out grittier and darker content. So maybe this was the right approach for a new movie. It would be a decade-long slog to bring Batman to the big screen as, since no one had faith in it, finding producers was almost impossible. But that all changed after a movie called Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Directed by a young animator named Tim Burton, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was the perfect combination of direction and art direction many people had never seen. Tim Burton was not a comic book guy, but he had the sensibilities and vision that was needed to bring his new version of Batman to the silver screen. Getting him on board was considered the real turning point, and he, along with talented writers, designers, actors, musicians, and architects, made for the perfect storm. With all this in place, they could create the shadowy, gritty, and psychologically rich style of movie that wasn't for kids and would attract an older crowd. At the core of this, the story of Batman was really the story of Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is the one with the dark and damaged past, and that develops into the vigilante of Batman. He is a tortured soul who, even though rich, is always longing. 
This would be a character-driven focus and not just a superhero action movie. That meant finding the perfect person to play him, and that's when the story really picks up. Often forgotten as another character in the Batman movies is the city of Gotham. It serves as a main character, and the tone and feel of it needed to be just right, and that's what they achieved with British produ uh, production designer Anton First. They also landed another huge asset. Jack Nicholson would be playing the Joker. The idea is they wanted to capture some of what Nicholson had done in creating the character of Jack Torrance in The Shining. Who would they cast to play across from this Hollywood heavyweight and match the mood of Gotham City? The production team made up of John Peters and Peter Gruber decided they didn't want to cast an unknown who looked like Batman, the way Superman did with Christopher Reeve. They also didn't want to base their casting around purely dramatic stars who happened to be tall and well-built. Tim Burton had recently made the movie Beetlejuice, even though he had been working on a script for Batman. The success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure allowed him to have some freedom now, but even though Warner Brothers paid for the Batman script development, they still didn't want to greenlight the film. Through all this red tape, Burton had just decided to focus on Beetlejuice as it was a more creative and unusual movie. The script for Beetlejuice was actually given to Burton by music mogul David Geffen, who suggested an actor named Michael Keaton to play Beetlejuice. Believe it or not, Sammy Davis Jr. was the original choice for Beetlejuice, but Burton trusted Geffen, even though he had never heard of Michael Keaton. Beetlejuice was another commercial and critical success, earning multiple Oscar nominations, and this cleared the way for Batman. Burton was also going to bring Michael Keaton to play the Cape Crusader, and then everyone went nuts. Since, ba since Batman was going to be a study of Bruce Wayne, Burton believed that Keaton had the acting chops to get inside the head of Wayne and give him that darker tone. Burton made mention that it was Michael Keaton's eyes that was a big selling point in giving him the role as they had this very wild look to them, which seemed to fit with the character. But Keaton was a comedic actor at his core, known for his work in movies like Mr. Mom. How could he play a superhero? He wasn't even tall. He wasn't even built like a comic book hero. Burton was going full on with the dark tone of the movie, mirroring what he had just seen in the comics, specifically The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. All of this was coming together to create a backlash by fans in the studio. They would think having Burton meant it was going to be too much like Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You think of Batman and you think of the campy 60s show. And you think of Michael Keaton and you think of comedies. Why weren't they at least going to go with some big actors considered to play Batman in 1989? This time we're looking at people like Mel Gibson, Harrison Ford, Tom Selleck, Charlie Sheen, Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, Pierce Brosnan, uh, Ray Liotta. Purists and comic book fans hated the idea of Michael Keaton playing Batman, and they were very vocal about it. Can you believe if the internet had existed back then? The entire internet would have melted down into some scrap heap. But it got so bad that Warner Brothers Studios received 50,000 letters of protest over the casting choice. Even the people involved with the movie weren't stoked on the choice, including... Um, Uslan himself and Batman creator Bob Kane. There's an interview on it was uh, superherohype.com, and uh, Uslan had mentioned the following things. He said, "I was the very first one that was apoplectic when I heard about Michael Keaton that Tim wanted. I went absolutely crazy." Goes on to say, "The dramatic bellowing was so great and huge coming." only from the mainstream media press. So it was only magazines, newspapers, radio, and TV. And the world was inundated to the point that I thought the fans were going to show up and surround Warner Brothers with torches and pitchforks. 
So what was everyone else saying at this time? If you remember this time, you'll recall that it wasn't very pretty. And here's an editorial from the LA Times from July 3rd, 1988. And it says, Keaton might have made a good joker, but his comic style, which he seems unable to shake but can amplify, has doomed this serious treatment of Bob Kane's character to the same tired, boring level of artificial camp that made the TV series a hit, yet simultaneously doomed it, doomed it to an early cancellation. It goes on to say, by casting a clown as Batman, Warner Brothers and Burton have defecated on the history of Batman and on the hopes of those who appreciate the character and his potential. Ouch. At the comic book uh, or the Chicago Comic Convention in July 1988, the tone was also less than cordial regarding the choice of Keaton. It was noted how the mood of the fans was hardly very confident. They were taking the decision very personally, and the thought was this was an intentional decision to make one of their heroes and by association them look stupid. It was the same type of sentiment being expressed at the Chicago Comic Con as everyone thought they were going to get Beetlejuice blended with Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So now let's look at the release and success of Batman. You're no doubt aware of the success of Batman and that it truly captured this new dark and gritty tone. Even after going nuts about the casting of Keaton, Uslan started to understand where Tim Burton was coming from, and this was even before seeing the final product. Uslan realized how brilliant Tim Burton was and that his goal was to make the world buy this new version of a comic book movie. He, al he also made the point that in heavyweight actor like Jack Nicholson, you needed someone who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe in a scene with him. Nicholson would wipe the screen with an unknown actor and Keaton was able to hang with him. It all came back to being about Bruce Wayne and they realized that Keaton had the dramatic chops to pull this off. They were able to see a rough cut edit of a movie called Clean and Sober that Keaton had made and they realized how good he really was. Seeing the first dailies and footage of the movie would start to put them at ease and the execution of the classic line, I'm Batman by Keaton, helped return the character to the darkness and dignity created way back in 1939. Fun fact, Keaton improvised that line, I'm Batman, as the script called for when he's holding the robber over the uh, building and the robber says, who are you? He was supposed to say, I am the knight, but he went with, I am Batman. Here's a few other little side notes about the release of Batman in 1989, which are pretty significant. It grossed $40.49 its opening weekend, breaking the opening weekend record. It was the fastest movie ever to $100 million. It finished with $411 million worldwide, adjusted for inflation that's uh, close to $900 million today. It's the 66th highest grossing film of all time in North America. It made $150 million in home video sales. It's considered that in North America alone, it sold around 60 million tickets. If you consider the average movie price today is around $9.01, you're looking at it making around $540 million. That would put it at around fifth on the list of highest grossing Marvel movies when you adjust for inflation. It was a monster hit, basically. And, and again, remember, it opened on way fewer screens. Say like uh, you know, a Star Wars or a Marvel movie opens on around 4,300 screens. Batman opened on just 2,194. Batman is also responsible for making the opening weekend box office receipts become much more important and it narrowed the time between theatrical release and home video release. Before that, movies took forever to be released on video. There was such a demand for Batman to, uh, to be able to be taken home that the time was shortened to get it into stores while it was hot and it worked. Okay, we'll start wrapping it up here. The great Michael Keaton backlash of 1980 was, I believe, justified at the time. 
people had these, you know, hold these things very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, but, you know, they just didn't have all the information when it came to Michael Keaton. I remember being one of those people, too, thinking when we found out he was playing Batman, you're like, seriously, this guy? Even The Simpsons did an episode sort of alluding to it. Michael Keaton was kind of a nobody to us at the time, and it was just he didn't look like Batman. However, the ultimate vision that Tim Burton had with Batman was fulfilled, and Michael Keaton was a huge part of that. What seemed like a senseless choice became the obvious one to the point future castings of Batman would be criticized because they weren't Michael Keaton. You'd think after the success of the choice of, of casting Keaton, people would have been more trustworthy. But, you know, fast forward a few years and the decision to cast teen comedy movie star Heath Ledger brought the same type of backlash. Everyone lost their crap at the choice of him playing the Joker, again, me included, but we all ended up eating our words on that one, didn't we? The backlash in 1988 should have been enough for fans to, you know, overall trust the casting choices for future movies. I never thought Chris Pratt would be an ideal choice to be in big time movies like Jurassic World um, and Avengers movies. Same thing for Robert Downey Jr. I, I can't see him at the time. How could he be in a superhero movie? Now we can't picture them without them. We'll always have our prejudices and choices who, for who we envision for specific roles, but the casting of Michael Keaton back in 1988 showed movie studios how seriously the fans take this. So let's wrap it up there. I hope you enjoyed this show. Hopefully you learned a little bit uh, about this whole issue. And again, like I was living during it, uh, during the time and, you know, as a huge Batman fan, I was anticipating this movie big time and went through all these same emotions, but, you know, obviously it worked out. So that'll be it for today. Thanks for taking the time uh, to check this show out. I know there's a ton of podcasts out there. So the fact you're here listening right now means a lot. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there, but I will be back soon with a new episode. So don't you dare miss it.